Welcome to another Sonic Talk. I'm just glancing around to make sure everything's working because last week was such a terrible tech week. This week, uh, Sonic Talk number 324. Um, listening live, we've got a nice fulsome chat room and we've got some guests with us and uh, the stream is alive and everything seems to be working. So, And also, once again, thanks to everybody. The comments of last week's show said, try this, try that. And I did, in fact, if you're interested, uh, you notice my uh, my compressed Im- disk images with none of them working on OSX. But now uh, I'm using Carbon Copy cloner as suggested uh using a sparse image and that mounts first time and it's all hunky dory so thank you everybody uh, uh, for for letting me know that uh as again um this week uh the show is brought to you by isotope um check out the stutter edit um fabulous piece of software for chopping up and, and doing all sorts of turnarounds and things. We'll a bit more on that later. Get your 10-day trial, trial at isotope.com, stutter edit. Anyway, we'll, we'll now go to our guests because we have some. Um, it's, very, it's quite hard to find guests at this time of year, but uh, we have our two of the, our regulars who have thankfully given up their basking in the sunshine time or whatever it is they might be doing. We'll start here with Dave Spears, g4software.com. Um, just le- released 64-bit versions of uh, some of the plugins, so I imagine he's probably spending quite a lot of time emailing people. Yes. yes. How's that all going? Yes. Good. It's, it's been a week. It's been a week. Yeah, quite a week. Sometimes, think- sometimes in the summer, it's good to have something happening because it, I've, I've spent a week of just sort of trying to tie up loads and loads of little niggly nuisance ends and stuff, and it's been very unsatisfying. Yeah, neither Chris nor I have a holiday this year, so we thought, let's just Blimey. plan on and do, do some things. So, yeah, no, it's been quite nice. It's been quite nice. But, yeah, sorry, I'm, I am a bit phased because it has been a week, and I don't know whether I even got a chance to look at the subject, so I'm going to be even more useless than normal. That's, it's all right, mate. Most of them are, are the ones that we haven't got around to yet from the last six <laughs> weeks. So <laughs> there's, there's the, you probably know them anyway, but thank you very much. Uh, and we also have Mr. Mark Tinley, uh, who is over there in uh, Bedfordshire, likebeing.com, uh, yeah. sound hey. artist, and um, former Audi A5 driver. Are you bereft? <laughs> You've had an uh, Audi A5 yeah, on I, test, right? I did have an Audi A5 on test for a week. And what an extraordinary car, actually, yeah. Right. Totally, totally mental. I had the 3-litre V6, 10 billion brake horsepower thing, and 0-60 to 60 in about seven seconds, which seems very fast to that me now. That is really I'm getting fast. And I went quite fast in it, but I won't say the number. And, and uh, I, it was so fast that I wasn't able to look at the speedo anymore, but... The passengers were, and they said, "Can you slow down now, please? This is getting very <laughs> Um So yeah, it was good. To, it's good fun, it's, and I and I just discovered from the guy. I was just talking to the guy who came to pick it up, and I and I was talking about the fact it's got cruise control, but the cruise control puts the brakes on if it gets too close to the thing in front. And then he said, "Oh, did you realise it's got lane?" Uh, control as well. So you switch that on, and then it stays in the lane on the motorway. And I said, oh, that explains why when I was trying to change lanes on the motorway, it felt so weird because I was trying to, like, go from the fast lane into the middle lane or whatever, and it felt like the whole car was, resisting was sort of, like, just, yeah. It was Good Lord, but I think we're only, we're only weeks away from those flying cars they promised us by the sound of it, so uh, sounds like a lot of fun. I don't think I've driven a fast car. According to East, it was 115 miles an hour. Jesus Christ. I don't think it was. I think it's obviously over a hundred. Don't tell people. Yeah, but it was on testing. private land, right? That, yes, of yeah, course. Yeah. On, the, on, on the Thamesford Air Base. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought. I thought so. I, I, I particularly thought so. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, well, thank you, but thank you for joining us, Mark and um, and and Dave, and um, let's see where we shall go this week. Um, I've got we we could start with a couple of things. There's some interesting uh, topics that actually came in from Derek Warren who emailed uh, very kindly with a couple of ideas. Uh, yeah, better edit that out. I don't know. I it's could... all right. He's understated it by... Oh, no. <laughs> That's even worse. Actually. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. Let's talking. just stop that. <laughs> uh, 
because uh, uh, anyway, um, I got an email from Derek Warren, uh, who's a listener for uh, well quite some time. It's not always nice to hear from him. And he's he's basically been asking me what we use for line mixing because I was talking about last week. I was kind of getting started on a musical project, which I have been doing this week, and I finally kind of figured it all out. I ended up using this. Um, just because I've got it on test, which is just a uh, Behringer kind of like big knob kind of control station USB audio interface. It's very simple, and uh, it actually helped it. It was just, you know, I did, got rid of the mixer from everything, and it was just a much easier kind of process. But um, generally, in terms of line mix, because, I mean, back in the day, we all used to have, uh, or, you know, you have to mix a lot of hardware synthesizers into something. I know, Dave, you use, well, I don't know whether you still use, because you used to have a, a Mackie, didn't you? But now there aren't actually all met that many options in terms of line mixing. I know you've just set up your room, Dave. I mean, what... What have you used to to map all your inputs into whatever hardware it is that you're using now? I have. Do you know, I mean, this is quite amazing, isn't it? Because there really is a kind of, there's, there's hardly any good quality line mixer stuff around, especially rack-mounted stuff, which I needed because of the setup, the various setups that we got. So essentially I got two, uh, hang on, Tascam LM8STs, ah, which are so- really nice, really nice and clean. Little single rack mount stereo inputs times eight. So I've got two of those, and then over the other side of the room, I've got a Mackie little thing, fourteen no fourteen oh two VLZ yeah. jobby. Yes, yes, that runs my funk setup. <laughs> Do you did you find that there's a did you have to have a particular flavour of line mixer depending? So you've got your, your esoteric analog has to go into the Tascam, but funk has to be analog into to Mackie, right? Yeah, mainly because of the amount of sends on the Mackie compared to the Tascam. You've only got one send and return on the um, Tascams, but you've got a couple on the Mackie. And I need to have, well, actually, I need, I've got an auto while on the Clavi, uh, but I quite like that to be on the Wurlitzer as well. Uh, and there was something else I wanted to put on. It was either a delay or I really quite fancy a kind of Dimension D. Oh. Can't you just run that on your um, on your UAD and sod the latency? Yeah, the latency is a bit of an issue because I'm still on the uh, the earlier UAD. But essentially, all of those those so those three mixers go into the RME, and then I've got stereo uh, channels on each of those on the RME, so I can just pull in everything, feed it into Logic, and do what I need to do. That's an interesting way to set up because, I mean, I think the the other thing that you can do if you've got multiple mixers and you've got auxiliaries that are not being used, you can bus out single instruments and if you plug those into some spare inputs onto your RME, it means that you can sort of take those out of the mix and record them separately as separate instruments, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and one of the good things I liked about the Tascams is that you can gang them together as well. So in effect, you can uh, you basically just come out one into the other if need be. But the way I want this room, the way I've wanted this room to work, I think I've said it a million times, is that Chris and I are going to do a kind of live video thing from the room. So we'll do all the prep on the sequences and stuff beforehand, and then we're just going to move between sections. So we need the ability to, for one of us to plumb into the mix and make sure that the levels are right before we kind of introduce our cacophony. Uh, and then I can kind of move over to another one, check that's okay, and then, you know, when that's kind of ready for me to introduce some noise into, then I can uh, feed that into the main computer. Ah, so, yeah. okay. Well, so let's record it via video and audio and then uh, upload it. Well, that sounds like a great fun. That sounds yeah, great. I mean, we, it's something that we do anyway, but it was just this idea of, actually, it would be nice to record it all again, this kind of, you know, it only exists for one moment in time, particularly with all the modular stuff. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, do you, um, I was going to ask you a question then, which has completely escaped my mind. So do you, are you using um, multiple busing? Because the Mackie's got an A bus and a B bus, isn't it? When you mute the channel, it goes to the alternative outputs. Do you use yeah, that at all? I will, but no, at the minute that's not plumbed in. I mean, basically, I just kind of got a, so through the Mackie, I've got the Wurlitzer, the Clavinet, the uh, Selena, and the Mini Moog, and uh, there's something else that I've completely forgotten that needs to go into it. Oh, probably no, no, no. Actually, yeah, yeah, that's that. 
so, yeah, so I've just kind of set that up all basic. What I keep forgetting to do is because I went out and bought, but I've got a beautiful little old um, Electro Harmonics Y trigger filter that I've had since like 1978. It was, I bought it in America the very first time I ever went. But that's kind of busted. So I bought a Boss Auto Wire thing. Ah, uh, yeah, they're pretty good but on the clav, aren't they? I, yeah, yeah, nice. But I keep forgetting to unplug the jacks. So uh, I am getting through the entire world supply of 9-volt PP3s. I believe it's possible to get a power supply for them, Dave. I should, yeah. yeah. I had to do that for the Giga Delay and obviously the Strymon, so yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, Mark, what do you do? Uh, do you just go directly into your sound card? Or, I mean, line mixers, because there used to be loads of them, didn't there? There used to be some really nice Roland ones, and uh, I think Mackie used to do a line mixer. I mean, you know you can get a Behringer one, and but there were, it was it was very much of the time, certainly in the 80s and 90s, when people had massive, great keyboard rigs. Line mixers were everywhere, weren't they? Uh, they were. I mean... Um, which question shall I answer first? I'll answer the do I plug into my sound card question first. Yeah. I plug directly into my sound card and have done for some time. I've got six inputs on my sound card at the moment, which is the, uh, well, it's got some digital inputs as well. So I plug a microphone into it. I plug an electric guitar into it. Then I've got a stereo pair, which has got something plugged into it, and I can't remember what, uh, SE70, I think. And then I've got, uh, I use the ADAT um, Sony Philips digital interface to plug my Roland V-Synth into it digitally. Right. And then I use this Sony Philips um, RCA interface to plug my Line 6 thing for my guitar into it digitally. So I kind of pick things up digitally here and there. But I've also got a breakout box for an ADAT uh, eight analog ins and the light pipe out. So if I want more inputs and outputs, I can just plug that in. Um, I did have a Behringer mixer, just one of the little ones for for plugging keyboards and things into. But the thing is, once you get used to plugging everything directly into the sound card and then you come back a step to plugging things into an analog mixer, you start to realise how noisy they are. And I, I hadn't sort of... I mean, in, once you've got a whole load of channels just sitting there sort of half open, you, get, you yeah. do get quite a lot of background. Well, I mean, that's, that certainly is true with the, uh, the lower-cost Behringer stuff. I mean, it's utilitarian. It works great. If you've got a good gain structure and you've got very quiet stuff here, it's fine. But, I mean, certainly the low end of any, any of those kind of low-end stuff, you're going to be paying... You know, you get what you pay for, the my camps. The Xenix my camps aren't too bad, and the, the Mackie ones are, uh, are certainly better, although they've improved the I've Behringer used, ones I've recently. I've used the Mackie in the past... I mean, what, the way I tend to use those line mixers as well is to set everything at Unity and to never touch anything on the mixer. So if I could find something that was simply an analog kind of summing mixer, that would probably be far more useful. Well, you can get them, them but they're, then you're yeah. sort of talking a lot of money. And Derek's actually in the chat room, Derek909. Uh, well, I don't know. I, well, I don't know that you are. To, I mean, somebody had commented in this thread earlier or in the email that you sent me that they were trying to buy a mixer off ebay and had seen them going for extraordinary prices i sold my behringer for 20 quid i think and i run a local search on uh music stuff because i always think it's worth just running a search on ebay for anything that can be picked up locally and and i've seen i've seen spirit mixers going for like nothing absolutely nothing next to nothing and and mixers come up all the time. Nobody really wants them anymore because I guess they're plugging straight into the sound card. Yeah, well, so, it depends I mean, what you've got. I mean, De- uh, Derek says um, that the uh, Rain 8.2 um, was going for 500 bucks on eBay and 250 on on you. But that, I mean, to be honest, uh, 250 bucks for a light, for an eight-channel line mixer doesn't actually, you know, that's what that's about 170 quid, and it's good quality. I mean, it's not. It's, you know that that's just the price, I guess. I mean, it's not that expensive, but I, and the rain stuff I know is quite well thought of. Um, but yeah, it's just going to have to be one of those things that you have to bite. But yeah, somebody... we've got an old Roland, an old Roland line mixer, the twenty-four. I think that's been around the world about a hundred times, and that still works. Although, if you lose the power supply, you're completely screwed because it's got weird connectors and it's all is that quite the weird inside. Is it the M240 or something? I remember that, It's only yeah. got volume controls on it and nothing else. Cause I uh, there are sends, there are pans. Hasn't it got mute switches as well? I think it has. Yeah, I remember I that. had a really nice Roland one, which had, like, basically little tiny volume controls, like 
miniature kind of 808 knobs on it, I suppose. And it actually it did have sends, but it had no EQ on it at all. And I used to plug everything into it, and then I'd mix everything in the S1000 and just kind of set my levels in all the synths and everything. Because I, I've all way before we got Logic and all those things, I always said, I, wouldn't it be nice if you could just totally recall everything you were doing by like putting a disc in a machine and then it's there. And that's kind of the world I want to work in. I don't want to work in, oh, God, how did I do that and what was patched into here and what was patched into yeah. there. I can't just load something up and hear it. Because what happens is you do mixes, don't you? And you, and then a few weeks later you're listening to it and you go, hmm, you know what, if I just, if the vocals had been one dB louder, it would have been much easier to hear them. Actually, not in my case, because I mix vocals really loud. Maybe if the vocals had been 1 dB quieter, it would have been much nicer for everyone to listen to. And then I want to be able to go back to it, move that fader, and then reprint it and come up with a new version of it, not to have to go back and go, mm. oh, no, since I've been using this mixer, I've just changed all the trims on the gain inputs and stuff. So yeah, when the, no, when you're the absolutely camera, right. Or, um, I'm talking, 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 talking. When the Yamaha thing came out, remember that Yamaha thing with flying faders? Yeah, the, the, oh, yeah, yeah, the O1, ProMix I mean, O1. I loved that. I was I like, this one. is brilliant. This is a step towards what I wanted, apart from the fact it was as noisy as hell. Yeah, it was, yeah. But then it had trim pots on the back of it, and I was like, I just, I couldn't see, you know. What's the point in that? If you don't leave them somewhere where it's noisy as hell or it's... <laughs> In other words, if they're not somewhere where you can have total recall, then it doesn't make any sense. The trim pots need to be digitally controlled as well, and they weren't. No, well, they're still not. I mean, I've got uh, DM. Uh, well, I've had. I had that. I bought the ProMix O1. Then I bought an O1V. Then yeah, I bought nice an o, well. uh, Then I bought uh, an O3D. No, then I bought an O3D, not an O1V. Uh, then I got the Yamaha DM1000. So I have a lot of Yamaha mixers, and I agree. I mean, the, the trim is the, the, the key part. But, I mean, I don't run – well, I haven't run. I, when I used to run a lot of live MIDI stuff, that was an issue. But uh, if you've just got it patched one for one, then it's not so much of an issue because the output of that's going to be roughly the same, and you can adjust it on your – you know, you've got some headroom on the actual unit itself. But it's a good point you say about uh, recallability. I mean, that definitely is. I know that I think the PreSonus – and uh, that has um, recallable digital levels, I believe. I had a Motu one once, a little rack Motu interface, but again, that was as noisy as hell, absolutely unusable, really. Uh, but it was a Motu MIDI-controlled mixer, and it had a number seven in it, but I can't remember where the number seven was in the model number. I mean, I used that to line mix all my keyboards and then wanted to have that recallability again. Right. I don't, yeah. I, well, that uh, this is something that's, that there's, there is an interesting, I think there is a, a market for, what we need is a line mixer, which also works as a multi-channel audio interface, but it also has a USB port on the back that you can just record all the direct outputs of the channel. You just plug a drive in the back and it'll just go direct out and you've got 24 direct uh, discrete okay, well, but, at the same yeah, but, time. So, so I've got a focus right Pro 24 interface, and it has a built-in line mixer. It, I can use it as a mixer. Yeah, it will come up, and you can you can store your mixer settings in it and take it out and use it like a mixer. You don't have to use it as an audio interface. And I'm sure that the Mark of the Unicorn one's like that as well, isn't it? It has like a piece of mixer software in it. So yeah. I I really think that everything should. Going and those and you can uh, link those as well. The mark of the unicorns, can't you? You can link well, yeah, any audio uh, interface to any other audio interface no, and build like essentially a big mixer. No, you? no, only no? if you've only oh. if you've got uh, the PCI card. So you've got the PCI card, and that's got three slots in it, and you can put three of those audio interfaces together. The standalone or the Firewire ones are separate. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Okay, I won't buy one of them. I was going to buy a hybrid Mark III or something. And uh, maybe you may be something. right. Maybe, but that's how it always used to be. Uh, but the Moto 2408, because uh, the only one that I recall that was a fire standalone Firewire fire one was an 828, and they did an 828 and an 828 Mark II, and then you get the 2408 Mark One, Two, Three, Four. I think they're up to Mark Three now, and you can run three of those 
or three, you know, there's a 2408, there's also the 2496. So you can run various, you know, you've got 24 IO times three on the PCIe card, which I forget what oh, the okay. serial number is. But, it, but what's confusing about that is it uses a Firewire cable, but it's not Firewire. Oh, wow. that's not good. <laughs> I could go horribly wrong. It's a... It's, I take it it's wired the same way. It's yeah, I don't think you can. I, I don't think you can. Yeah, I don't think you can actually kind of. It just doesn't work. PCI oh, right, four, yeah, PCI four two four. Thank you. There we go. There's the chat room once again. Let's give them a bit of props. Chat room, come Good to nice. Atmosonic in the chat room. The giant brain. Uh, yes, there we are. So thank you very much. But yeah, it's interesting because th- that's what you need, isn't it? You want total recall. So you want. Yeah. A, what you basically need is a rack mount mixer with a couple of mic channels, all digital, so it'll just recall. But I, actually, that's an interesting thing because the Behringer's that, and the new Behringer's, because you've got the Behringer, uh, this is the Behringer, um, whatever it is, I forgot, the X32 engine. You can buy the desk in three sizes, but you can also just buy the rack, and it's just a, basically a rack with, with however many I.O. on it, and it's got my, uh, something like 16 ins and eight outs plus extra stuff, plus all the other business. And you just run it on software, and it's total recall. So you could just run that, and that might make sense. And that, that's not bad, actually. I mean, as you know, I've, I've reviewed the X32. I was really all over it. I loved it, actually. And I, I really wish we still had one, because it was just... it was so, As a digital desk go, it was so much easier to use than, say, the Yamaha DM. You know, it was like, this button has got labels. You know, it's just much more discreetly controllable. And so the perhaps the, I think it's called X32 Core, if I remember correctly, and that's got the I.O. on the back. Uh, or maybe it's the next one up. There's two models. There's the rack, which is just the DSP, um, which you would then hang various I.O. off, and then there's the one which has got I.O. on it as well. That's the one you probably want. And a bunch of stuff, yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. I was at a st- studio party a few weeks ago with Andy, should I say, obviously from a house guy, used to all these big Midases and his mega desks and whatnot. Of course, the guy whose party it was... Uh, has had a few hits, gets loads of stuff played on Radio 1 and is a good producer, great guitarist. And, of course, Andy looks in the studio and goes, oh, God, yeah, but the problem is it's all going into a Behringer and it's all, you know, it's got a Behringer patch bay and Behringer compressors and this, that and the other and got really snobby about it. And then it transpired that uh, this guy's had, like, about 20 hits. And I was like, really, honestly, who cares? I know somebody who wrote about five albums on the really old Behringer desk and did pretty well out of it. Yeah. yeah. They were cr- crummy, though. They were very noisy. <laughs> the, way, the way I used to get around that was I had a Roland NS50 noise suppressor, which I just <laughs> chucked over everything. <laughs> so everything just sort of went... <laughs> it did have like, that slightly fizzy quality to it, yeah. How were your fade-outs? How were your reverb tails like? Oh, gorgeous. <laughs> of course they were. Well, I bought a I bought a very expensive Sony rack mount reverb actually, which cost me about fifteen hundred pounds. Oh, was that the one that had the wood finish? Um, no, no, I didn't go quite that far. That was a convolution reverb, wasn't it? I believe so. Yeah. I think I just bought the Sony R seven. Maybe that's where the seven was. Maybe it wasn't in the motor at all. No, right? I think they're all fours and eights and twos. <laughs> Well, there we go. We've kind of exhausted that. But I, I mean, I know Derek is, uh, was very sort of, yes, but it's for somebody who's not making their living off music. But the thing is, is you know, you kind of do get what you pay for, for when it comes to multiple inputs. Oh, well, anyway. hang on. If, yeah. if it's for somebody who's not making their money off music, then they can probably afford to spend hundreds of thousands of pounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friend at school, his dad, had the most amazing record player in the world, and he was making his money by working in a factory. So there you go. Ah, well, that's the way it goes sometimes. Well, you can afford to have expensive hobbies if you've got a proper job. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, interesting point. Uh, perhaps, uh, speaking of proper jobs, this might be a good point to bring in a word from our sponsor. Of course, uh, uh, Isotope, our continued sponsorship of the show. And in any second now, the video will play. 
And there it is. And this is Stutter Edit. Uh, this is what we're talking about at the moment. In fact, we have a competition for you at the end of this advert. But this Stutter Edit is an effect that you can play like an instrument. You can play it off a MIDI keyboard, remix in real time. It basically cuts up the audio and you can reorder it and you can get granular, you can reverse bits, you can add filters, distortion, all kinds of things. Reinvent your sound and music, uh, filters, limiters, beat juggling, sonic possibilities, some really complex patches you can make. And this is uh, in conjunction with BT, who is one of the sort of arch kind of cut-up artists. So you can imagine that he probably wanted quite a lot of it to do, to do some pretty fantastic things. So basically, you know, you can now get hold of this. There's a 10-day free download. Uh, you can d- get this from isotope.com forward slash stutter edit. Download it, check it out, see if it'll do what you want it to do. You play it off a keyboard. I mean, it really is a great fun. I remember reviewing it and having a, a whale of a time with it. So do download it, and um, I really do think you should. So once again, we thank Isotope for their sponsorship of the show. And uh, there is a competition. We didn't have one last week, but this week we've had a question. Um, this is from St- uh, Isotope themselves. Um, what Isotope would like to know is, uh, how, how could, can you share your favourite unorthodox sound trip or trick? And that's something that's sort of really odd that you perhaps do. Obviously, we have trade secrets and what have you. I think <laughs> Dave's reaching for the vocoder there. Leave that in the comments. Describe, you know, what's your nifty sound design trick that you use. Leave it in the comments either uh, here on sonicstate.com or via the YouTube video, which will be on uh, YouTube, of course. And just let us know. And then we'll pick a winner and the Isotope Fairy will bestow a copy of Stutter Edit into your email account box thing. So once again, we thank, thank them for sponsorship of the show. I, I've had a revelation now. Ah, have you? I have. You've it, seen the light. I've just, I've just been Googling images of the Mark of the Unicorn MIDI Mixer 7S, which is what I was using. Ah. And I've had this real revelation because I've just realized that... Um, oh, my God. Ooh. Sorry, that's mine. Uh, I've just realized that the Mark of the Unicorn with the orange head on them, the Mark of the Unicorn with the orange head, is the same company as Motu with the blue motif. And I've just kind of gone like, oh, God, I hadn't sort of realised that they were the same company. So that must, so the latest MIDI interfaces and stuff must be an evolution of those original MIDI Mixer 7Ss, which were quite noisy. Ah, okay. Well, there, there is interesting. There is another part to the question, which was, you know, audio, which is MIDI interfaces too, because uh, uh, obviously, you know, a lot of USB audio interface come with a bit of I.O., but, I mean... There's pretty much only one game in town when it comes to if you want a lot of I.O., and that's Motu again. Motu are kind of pretty much, you know, for, for lots of interfaces. And they do – I've still got an old Mark of the Unicorn um, uh, one, which is uh, on ADB or Serial, which I can never use, obviously, because there's no way I'm going to get to that. But that was 8 in, 8 out. And for those of us with large MIDI rigs, I mean, those are pretty much the only game. I don't know if you know anything else. What are you using, Dave? Are you on Motu interfaces for your stuff? No, I'm still on the old – uh, AMT8. Oh, the Uniter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've used that. I mean, that's just been flawless for, well, how many years? <laughs> like 15 years or Is something. Is that the one that's bought, but they've got USB and serial connections? Yeah, I think it has. Obviously, I've just got it USB'd into the Mac Pro. But, I mean, honestly, I had I had one go down. I think it was just a power supply issue and because I use it, like, every day. I mean, it has stayed on 24-7 for probably 10 years. And I just went straight on eBay and bought another one. It was, like, you know, sort of 70 quid or something like that by now. I just thought, yeah, got to have it. And then while that's been – while I'm using that, I can get the power supply repaired on the other one. Did um didn't is it hadn't it got some kind of MIDI timing thing going on in it? Because I remember when we first got one, it just screwed everything up and everything was out of time, and I couldn't get ever get it working. No, it's been amazing, really. Yeah, I mean to be honest, right at this moment in time, I'm not using a huge amount of MIDI. I've obviously got the master controller keyboard, which has again been the JD800 for 15 years. It's on 24/7. It's never even hiccuped. Uh, all the faders still working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, absolutely. There is one button that's like like a little bit iffy, but I mean, turn it on, turn uh, turn it off, turn it on again. And you've got control over that. And then I've got uh, stuff going into the Elysis Andromeda and also the OB8 because the keyboard on that needs a bit of attention. Ah, okay. So yeah, not a huge amount going on, but blimey. Are you, are you using any MIDI to CV stuff? 
No, no, not as yet. I mean, really, at the minute, everything... We're kind of focusing on getting all of the different CV stuff talking to each other, so the ARP stuff, the Moog stuff, obviously the synth.com and the Oberheim stuff. And it's weird because the Oberheim, the little mini sequencer that I think you can just about see behind me on top of the four-voice expander, it prob- has probably got, apart from the synthesizers.com uh, sequencers, has probably got the most comprehensive interface capability out of everything. Mm. Stunning, really. But you don't want to go there. Honestly, kids, you don't want to go there. It is a headache, and it's just obsessives like us that get involved in this. (laughs) I got kudos the other day because I put a video up, and it was like not a MIDI cable in sight, and people go, wow, that's amazing. And I was thinking, it's not. It's just a massive headache. Yeah, well, I I must admit, I mean, while I've been doing this um, work here, uh, I've been using the Jupiter. I tried to limit my sound palette. I just thought, right, I've got this, you know, native instruments... um, complete that came and i thought right i'm gonna just kind of go i've got one drum kit one bass sound and then i'm gonna make everything else on the jupiter because that's just over there and it's easy to and i managed to do it but um it the midi on that is just terrible you know you can you can map the uh the pitch bend to the filter but it doesn't receive it over midi so it's completely pointless the yeah, only thing yeah. it does seem to do which is really irritating is uh, receive program changes which so when i've got a manual sort of sound that's been edited from one of the patches in there because i haven't figured out how to save them again it, and i select the track it just springs it so uh, yeah it's a bit irritating but it's there's something nice about not using midi i know mark you're not you're not a fan of midi are you really no, I just posted a Vine video. Um, I, I had a MIDI interface which I was trying to sell on eBay for 99p and nobody bought it. So I taught my son how to destroy it with a £10 lump hammer earlier on, which was really good fun, actually, <laughs> along with the computer. We've got a pile of metal outside our house, if you drive past, which says, free, scrap, please take me. Um, figuring that nobody around here would really need a Mac Nexus interface. But um, I do have a MIDI interface. I've got one of those green things, which has got uh, A and B and two MIDI ins and two MIDI outs, which I plug into my laptop from time to time. But uh, I don't think it's got Mac Lion drivers yet, so I can probably only use that in Snow Leopard. But I mean, any class compliant... Why can't I say that? Class compliant. I'll say it for you. That one, yes, thank you. (laughs) Then you won't have to edit it out. Uh, Any one of those will just plug into into the USB and you can just use that, can't you? Um, Yeah. And obviously the problem being that it's not isolated on the earth. So yeah, that, well, that's an issue, particularly if you yes, if you've got MIDI and audio connected to the same machine, um, the old yeah. stuff doesn't have that USB isolation, which um, more modern ones do, because you get this terrible ground loop, which is uh, which is what, one of the reasons that MIDI was opto-coupled because the ground loop thing. But I when mean, you then bring USB back into it, it kind of screws that all up. So, I mean, there is MIDI in the Focusrite thing I've got, so I plugged I plug the vSynth in using old-fashioned MIDI cables, but simply because the vSynth driver stops my mouse from working for some reason, oh actually. If I, if I, and I tried a Bluetooth mouse to try and get around that, but that didn't, I didn't like that. I prefer the old-fashioned mouse. I'm old, old-fashioned. Oh, someone <laughs> in the chat room. Uh, let's see, this is uh, Derek909 in the chat room, um, has put up uh, Waldorf recommended USB isolator with the Blofeld to avoid ground loops. I didn't know you could oh, get right. USB isolators. That's an interesting thing. I think you might. That's to... a that's a useful thing to know about. I must. I'm going to bookmark that. Yeah. Let me see if I can load that. Up. I, the the MIDI interface that I that I think has been the most useful and most successful one would be an AMT8. Is, which, which is, is the same one that Dave. Yeah. Yeah. They're brilliant. They work really well. There we go. Electrically isolate USB. Prof- prof- Profiteroles, peripherals from their, <laughs> from their host. I like the idea of USB profiteroles, though. That sounds great. Full speed USB <laughs> I- isolator. It, just just a little USB box that you press and it profiteroles come out on demand. <laughs> Why <laughs> is it ninety nine dollars though? Doesn't that seem extremely expensive for yeah, something it does. that doesn't actually do anything or very much other than? It does seem a bit more expensive than perhaps your MIDI interface would cost. Yes, apart from an AMT eight, perhaps. But yeah, that is a little bit excessive. Right, what have I done? I've just, uh, yeah, that's what I've done. Um, anyway, talking of little shiny things, um, let's have a look at, uh, at this, shall we? Yeah.
This is, uh, of course, the Leap Motion, which we trailed uh, several years ago. It's finally shipping. You can buy it uh, as pre-order. I think it's gone out to places like Best Buy and stuff in the States. So, you know, big, big numbers we're talking about. They've they've sent loads and loads of them out. You know, people have been sending them to... And this is used uh, in conjunction with something called Gecko by Ewin, who is uh, Geert Bevin, who is um, uh, the guy who's behind a lot of the... Uh, evangelistic demos of <laughs> this is him this is electro human <laughs> I can't take any more of that. But um, that uh, that is kind of one of the early uh, demos of it, you know, uh, with the fully operational thing. And this is a program called Gecko, um, by, like I say, by Uwin Software. And that looks pretty good because you can map left and right hands uh, in a couple of axes to various different CCs. And it's apparently very fast. And the resolution is pretty amazing. But, I mean, the whole leap motion thing is for sort of this pinch and zoom and all sorts of stuff on the map. And it, I think it's about 80 bucks. But we finally got there. And I know when we perhaps when we covered this initially, um, you were quite excited by this concept. Have you have you done your pre-order? I think it's £76. Mark? Me. I haven't done my pre-order because um, I said to Gina, I want one of those for my birthday. And she said, are you sure that's what you want? Yeah, yeah. And she said, well, it's not out till whatever. And then she said, do you want an iPad mini instead? And I went, oh, yeah, yeah, I have that instead. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't do the pre-order. Um, but I, I think I'll, uh, I'll watch with interest and almost certainly buy one. Actually, I mean, I quite, I quite like. It's weird, isn't it, that that guy was doing those motions that, you know, hip hop people kind of do those almost robotic motions when they're doing that kind of thing, and then it's really nice that something's on the end of that mm. responding to it. So I mean, you, you know, those guys that do that beatboxing always kind of wave their arms about like that anyway, don't they? Maybe they've all known about this for years <laughs> and ting exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah it looks pretty interesting uh, i mean it's the resolution is uh, apparently very high um they've improved that considerably i mean they got something like i can't remember it was either 75 or it was either tens or hundreds of millions of dollars they got in vc funding so they obviously somebody's kind of thinking this is going to be the way forward it's quite interesting uh i don't know my, uh, Dave, can you think of a use for this? I mean, I think we probably talked about it before, but I mean, obviously, gesticu- gesticular control, that sounds like a, a word you ought to be careful saying, <laughs> is, is, is something that is, 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 is a, still pretty alien, right? Yeah, it's funny because the videos that I looked at uh, over the last couple of days, everyone's using it like a D-beam controller. <laughs> Which you could just MIDI map out of your, contro- out of your synth, couldn't you? And yeah, mind you, it's, not, it's quite cheap. Yeah, of course. I like the one. I, I've just been looking, trying to find out what the one. There was the video with the guy, and it had the screen, and he was doing this, and all the fishes were kind of swimming away. And it was called something great, like felching, but it wasn't felching, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> wow, gesticulation and felching. These are two <laughs> words that probably should not. Help. Uh, well, maybe gesticulation can make it into the show title, but yeah. that would probably be very bad. Uh, no, I don't know. I expect that I'll see something that will blow me away. And I do know an awful lot of people who have ordered them and they are working on them. And uh, I suspect I'm going to see something there that I'll go, oh, yeah. But for me, I haven't had that kind of eureka moment yet. It is funny. Yeah, the, the, there's a lot of comment in the chat room about, um, you know, even with the B-deem, you feel like a complete dork using it. I didn't. I, I paraphrase that because obviously the, the word I wanted to use was perhaps not so. And there is this sort of aspect of this sort of like I'm a sort of ninja wizard that needs. And there is a little bit of a kind of unco- you've got to be comfortable with yourself to be able to get away with that, really, haven't you? Yeah, I don't think it, it doesn't. It doesn't work when you post D- fully. The D beams are pain in the proverbial parts uh, really because the, th- the two things I remember about, well the, I've got a V-Synth which has a D-Beam on it which is nice and I've got a two tier keyboard stand and the V-Synth is the bigger synth so it's on the bottom <laughs> the smaller synth on the top interferes with the D-Beam and Roland, bless them, have programmed all of those nice patches to include the D-Beam because mm. they want to show it off 
So I flick through some patches and I go, okay, I'll try this sound on my song. And whoa, that's really out of tune. What's happening? And then I have to go and turn the D-beam off because uh, I sort of realize that the, the synth above it on the rack it's interfering. It's interfering. So even worse than that, when I was working with Nick and we were on tour, Nick had a V-synth and I didn't put anything in the rack above it except the, uh, the lighting and stage guys pumped loads of smoke onto the stage and it started playing itself. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so, so they don't work too well with dry ice or smoke. It's, you know, not recommended. Oh, how disappointed you got a whole video planned. Did you? It is, no. it, it is weird, though, isn't it? It does look... I don't know. I, I always felt uncomfortable with the D-beam because it does look like a kind of... a rally from about 1939. Yes, yeah, yeah, so you, 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 you are... Different. You are actually... You are kind of... You have to do this a lot, don't you? Which yeah. Doesn't, yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. generally look so good, perhaps, if you're playing in the wrong part of the world. It really yeah. didn't. But there is one really, really excellent YouTube video of Jem Godfrey using the D-beam controller, and he's got loads of Peter Gabriel samples... He's obviously using the Roland sampler thing with the D-beam in it, and it's really, really very cool. He is the only person post-40, I think, who can get away with it. Ah, well, that's, that's fair enough. But the, the Leap Motion has a lot of uses, that potential uses anyway. I mean, it's interesting that the thing is, is everybody's buying one because they want to see what it's like, because it's priced at just yeah. the right... So they'll sell tons yeah. of them, but will they ever be used? It's going to be one of those things that people buy and then just kind of go, oh, yeah, that, I, I had to turn it off, because every time I reach forward to kind of read something small on the screen, my computer does something unusual that I wasn't <laughs> expecting, or whatever it may be, you know. It's that sort of it's thing. Is yeah, yeah, do you want me to do something now? No, no, not now, not now. Yeah. I mean, it depends yeah. how well it gets integrated. It depends which software developers pick it up and go, hang on a minute, we could do this with it. And then somebody can do something clever with it. I mean, ideally, what needs to happen is for Apple to buy it and put it in their laptops, isn't it, really? So that when I'm using my Apple laptop, every time I reach into the space between the screen and the keyboard, I can do a whole load of other stuff which I wouldn't normally be able to do. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, that's true. In the same way they integrated touchscreens into the iPhone and suddenly that became like a cool thing to have because somebody really thought about how to use that technology. Yes, yeah. I suppose so. I mean, the, you know, the touchscreen thing, you know, that's the thing that's quite interesting because we forget that, you know, until uh, only five years ago, the touchscreen was pretty much, you know, the only thing, you, you got them on Tritons, you know. You'd, yeah, exactly. They, they weren't, uh, 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 they'd been around, but nobody got it right. And this may not exactly. be the thing that got it right. But I'm thinking, you know, you, what you need is a special gesture or something that says use it, don't use it, you know, whatever it may be. So you can use your hand to activate it and deactivate it. So you could you could just kind of, you know, if you do something, then yeah, I'm using it now, now stop it. So that the, these are the sort of things that are going to have to be required. Because, I mean, I can see it being quite useful, well, for all sorts of things. It's just a question of whether we feel comfortable with this gesture part of it because i mean if essentially i mean i'm doing it now but normally I, when i'm speaking I, I i'm not gesticulating for the podcast well maybe i do i haven't really thought about it but now i'm talking about gesticulating i seem to be doing it a lot but I do. it's a natural thing for speaking so there's no reason why you could maybe use it in conjunction with something that requires you to talk at your computer at the same time maybe there's a, an application there I do it when I actually, when I do uh, our YouTube videos. Normally, I start from a voiceover perspective, and then I then I film the stuff depending on you know according to what I want to say. And exactly as I'm doing now, even though there's nobody in the room, and this is the joke, I'll have a mic here, and I will be talking like this, like I'm actually talking because it kind yeah. of gets the air out of you. And then people walk in the room and think. Have you got a kind of physical Tourette's? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the danger with these things. It's like, you know, when you don't want to bid at an auction, but you just feel this compulsion you can't help to go. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I do exactly the same thing. I was doing, I was making a Vine video the other day with East and we were doing the front camera and the two of us were in there and I was waving my hand around on the edge of the screen and he said, Dad... What are you doing with your hand? Why are you doing that? The camera can't see it, and it's yeah, it is an automatic thing. Or well, it's iteration, isn't it? No, it's interesting, but I mean, I think if somebody can get a 
an application that 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 can read that and use it in something. I mean, if you imagine, I, I don't know. Actually, that's an interesting. That's something perhaps to think about. But yes, I, I, I mean, I think as we've talked about before, the touchscreen thing. You know, having your arms extended for long periods of time. You know, is 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 not probably the way it's going to get used it's going to be used perhaps on a more micro level perhaps you know where you could imagine it's just above your keyboard and you just move your hand up and you wiggle your finger or you do something simple i mean that would if be if they got it really accurate you could have a guitar with no strings couldn't you I, well, you apparently, apparently it is actually very i haven't had a chance to check it out i mean we don't have one here um apparently it is very accurate but yeah, i've heard it is so you you know people who, who are using them in terms of game for for game stuff presumably right? Uh, I think more a kind of you know personal experiment stuff at the minute. Right. I'm sure we'll see a commercial aspect to it appear at some point, but you know these are kind of smart smart programmers who are yeah, just well, kind of getting into it. Developers got on the bandwagon, for, but I, that's the one yeah. thing I was thinking, and it would be a very smart thing to develop for because of Git, who's done Gecko, which is obviously you know going to be available. There's an app store available for it. But if you think about how much money's gone into this thing, I wonder if there, you know, there must be some quids about for people who are developing smart applications because the next phase is obviously people who can come up with applications. So there must be a fund available. If you've got the, got the chops, the programming chops, it might actually be worth um, getting involved in. Um, uh, Chris Christ, Christ says in the chat room um, that it's uh, one hundredth of a millimetre uh, oh. resolution. Blimey. Which seems strange because that is pretty. Uh, uh, that's a, that's tiny. Yeah, uh, I think they call that. Um, that's not a micrometer, is it? That's a more nanometer. That would be a de- decimeter. No, I don't know. <coughs> nanometer. Yeah. Uh, no, forget it. I, I'm just going to show my ignorance here. But anyway, Leap Motion is available now. It's going to be. You know, we're going to be seeing more and more of them. I would like to try them out, and I quite like the idea of. Figuring out, you know, somebody's just going to come up with something that goes, oh, I use it for this. And everybody's going, oh, yeah, I've got to have that. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's just a question of the application, isn't it? But, yeah, uh, absolutely. But, I also think it would be quite interesting to, say, study somebody's normal gestures as part of a conversation and then maybe create something to fit around those rather than make the gestures fit what the, uh, you know, what the controller is. be quite intriguing. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. saw something the other day, and there was um, it was a science program, a kids' science program. But they were showing um, this animatronic face, and it could do 410 different facial expressions. And it could also they'd got the computer reading this guy's facial expressions, and it, he was sort of making expressions at the computer, and it was analysing what he was thinking and feeling. And I thought that was really interesting, because. Um, because I can't read people's facial expressions at all, and apart from happy and sad, I can do like two or three facial expressions. All the other 408 or however many there are, I can't do. And I thought it would be useful if I had that, you know, a camera strapped to my head and an earpiece telling me what people were thinking and feeling. But maybe something like that. I mean, maybe in, you know, in terms of extended body language, extended gestures and stuff, if it could be programmed to pick up what people's mm. body language what we well, that, you, that's you know. really interesting um, um, CR78, CR78, CR78 yeah. Yeah. sign language would be very interesting yeah. I mean you could perhaps yeah. use it to teach sign language as well because I mean it would read what you're doing your hands say no not like that like this I mean that could be very uh, very useful too hmm and also presumably be able uh, well mind you if you can use your hands to sign you could probably type but I'm just thinking in terms of it might be something for people who are poorly sighted just to be able to no, uh, it's not not going to make any difference, is it? Uh, I'm trying to think of a way. Can I, obviously, if you can't see, it's not going to sign language. It's going to be pretty useless as well. It's going to be really fascinating because somebody will. They will have a. They'll come up with a kind of killer app, and everyone yeah. will go, "Oh man, I should have thought of that." Yeah. Well, yeah. well, fortunately, yeah. um, they're available, and they're going to be shipping in their tens, if not hundreds of thousands. So uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that, and um, and and enjoy. Um, there was. Um, that's the, yeah. Let's have a look at this one because this was this was because uh, maybe we can come back to the uh, C twenty four, but I don't want to do another 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 one. So have a listen to this. Probably. Ah, oh, takes you back to when Yamaha used to sponsor the show. This is the uh, Yamaha Avant Grand. Portuguese virtuoso Arthur Pizarro uh, 
who's actually, you know, proper pianist, and there's a very interesting chat with him about why he likes this. I'm always looking forward to their latest surprise, their latest tweak, their latest invention, and I have to say, this little machine is their latest gift. The beauty of the hybrid instrument is that the touch is the touch of an acoustic instrument. So you have the degree of precise response that you would have. This product really does compete to a certain extent with an acoustic grand. It's now that's saying a lot because this guy is a pianist. He's got the same keyboard action as you get on a Yamaha C3 grand piano, so you've got the same feel. And uh, by uh, all intents and purposes, I mean, this came out because Dave has actually been researching pianos for a client, and uh, you got a chance to check one of these out, right? Yeah. Wow. Wow. I've got this big thing going on here in that, you know, because obviously software is so insanely complicated and all the variables are... Inside, it's it's sort of borderline insanity that this whole idea again with the modular and all this stuff. This kind of there's this beauty in simplicity. So when uh, it's actually Rick Smith who said that he had sat and played one of these. It's a digital piano. It's got a it's a C5 mechanism in it, and what he wanted was just something in his house that he could just sit and play piano. And would I check it out? And, and obviously, PJ previously had spoken about the Nord, and I uh, spoke to the Nord people here, and because the chances of obviously Rick getting to a music shop are pretty slim, uh, so I tried to see if we could go down and see here, uh, see them, and sit him in front of it. But before we did that, I thought I'll, I'll go and check this out and just do an A/B test with this Avant Grand and uh, obviously the Nord. And I walked up to the, I played the Nord and kind of went, yeah, yeah, that's great. A load of options on it. Uh, it's, but a it's, stage, a, it's a stage piano though, really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, it's not a piece of furniture piano. Um, and that was kind of my argument with Rick is that actually, you know, the Avant Grand is about £5,500. So what you're going to end up with is say something in four or five years time that may sound fantastic now but in four or five years time our ears will have become accustomed to it and there'll be something better and you'll be thinking you know have i got to spend another five thousand pounds whereas if you're spending you know a couple of thousand and you've got all of these other capabilities are the sounds within it that maybe that might be the way to go and pj said that when he played the nord he was reduced to tears in a good way i hasten to add so i thought high praise indeed I'll go and check it out. So I played the Nord, uh, got on with that great, walked over to the other side of the music store where the Avant Grand was, and I literally played one note and involuntarily went, wow, because it felt and sounded, and the, sight of the spatial acoustic stuff with the speakers placement and stuff is just blinding. So in effect, what I did, I, I actually kind of so didn't believe my reaction that I left the store, left it a few days, and then went back and did exactly the same experiment again. This time on a Sunday morning where the guys came up to me and said, keep playing that, that's, really, that's a really nice thing to hear, uh, apart from the you know, 500th rendition of Stairway to Heaven that we normally have to put up with on a Sunday morning. Was there a major seventh going on there, by any chance? There was a lot of 13th, I can <laughs> tell you. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, no, it was really interesting. And for me, it, I, I actually walked away going, if I had the room, I would probably have bought it. But it was that idea that... So I, I, I basically went back to Rick and said, OK, so here's, here's my kind of pricey argument, is that the problem I have with the Nord, as great as it sounds, is that there's too much stuff in front of me, whereas on the Yamaha you've got five or seven sounds or whatever, and that's it. So what you do is you lose yourself in the playing and if that's what you want this instrument for then buy this instrument now the irony is of course that i bumped into him a couple of days later and he said i might actually get both <laughs> for the two reasons that we discussed ah. but it, it was this beauty in this you know it, it was the first time that i'd really lost myself in an acoustic emulation of an instrument Interesting. Well, one of the things with rick was that when they were doing the olympics they had you know, several people working on uh, stems. And, of course, all of those people had to have the same software that he had, which was ivory that he was using for the piano uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was saying, by the time we ended up with, you know, a load of multiple licenses, it started to get really, really expensive. So the idea that he could have this piano for himself 
and then he would actually record those stems and send them out to other people who were working on things. It seemed to be uh, a slightly more attractive proposition than uh, owning a ton of licenses that we're all going to eventually need updating. Yeah, I mean, they are expensive. I mean, here um, we've got, uh, right here, this is uh, Bonner's Music, and they've got three. I think the N1 is possibly what you were looking at, which is about five, seven. Mm. Uh, but then the ones that have got the little kind of uh, grand piano flap, the new ones, they're like 14 grand. But they've got multi-speakers underneath those. Uh, the soundboard has got a bunch of speakers in it, hasn't it, that kind of surrounds you. And I, I remember, um, I think... Um, Oh, who's the uh, the girl who sang New York? Uh, who's the pianist? Um, oh gosh, she she also did the Bond theme with Jack White. Um, oh, not Alicia. Keys. Alicia Keys. Yeah, yeah, she was she was demonstrating it at Nam, I think, when it first came out, and she was obviously fairly blown away by it, and she presumably, uh, um, you know figure out what's what i've not played one myself but i do like the look of it and i think you're probably right the idea that it, if it just absorbs you and also you can plug you can plug it in and if you look at the video of um arthur there he goes through a lot of the reasons why it's such a good investment because you get the you, you still get the mechanism the keyboard mechanism of a high-end yamaha grand piano and presumably i mean i don't know whether these are updatable so the sound engine can change is it is it modeling i'm not sure what it is actually uh, you know, honestly, I don't know. I have a feeling. Uh, no, sorry, I was watching another video. That was sample based. I don't know is the honest answer. I have to say, the minute I pressed that key, the feel of it made me just go, and the sound just made me go, wow. And that isn't something the old cynic uh, that happens to the old cynic these days too much, too regularly. Sure, I'm just looking. Uh, it's uh, it's spatial acoustic sampling. Um, and so the you, position of the speakers, the spatial acoustic stuff, is very, very good. Anyway, that's, so that's my that, kind of Does that mean moment. that they built, they put the microphones in a place that would make the speaker position make sense when they sampled played it. it back? They've sort of modelled it physically as well as digitally, then, haven't they? Yeah, quite possibly. So yeah. The, 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 speak, the speaker position in the instrument is as important as the original instrument itself, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, very, they were very proud of it. They've been pushing it up. But, I mean, you know, it's a serious instrument for that price. I'm it's got MIDI. <laughs> I think they should. Do they make a clear Perspex one? Because if they don't, they ought to. Yeah, they should, shouldn't they? <laughs> Mind you, it's probably just going to have loads of wires and stuff coming out of it. I just love the fact oh, that, I mean, no, it really like did look discreet. You could tuck it into the, the corner of a room. Anyway, too much money for me, but... When, when I first started with studios and uh, I wrote music for films and stuff with this guy called Daryl and uh, both of us used to sort of pour through like music technology magazine and sound on sound and really if you were writing music for film you had to have a Yamaha Baby Grand and that was sort of that was like the core kind of part of your studio to start with that and then you'd sort of songwrite and then you'd build everything else around that and maybe a Tascam uh, uh, reel to reel 8 track and all that sort of stuff but this seems almost like a modern equivalent to a Yamaha Baby Grand to me, not having been near one or knowing what it's well, about. Well, or, or I suppose uh, I wonder if it does CP CP you know CP eighty sound and stuff because that's something. Cause there is uh, cla- uh, sorry, there's a harpsichord that actually did make me wince after the after the beauty of the piano when I was kind of scrolling through and hit that. I was like, and the and the electric piano. I can honestly say it's quite ghastly. It's just straight out of the Doogie Howser school of FM oh. pianos. Oh. But the acoustic piano... But that's, 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 why, why would they do... Why would they not put anything else that's any good in it? It's bizarre. So then the next question is, if it's that good, when you go to record it, do you plug it in or do you yes. mic it up? If it's really good, you might find that you need to mic it up to get the same sound. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? And how would you mic it up? Because yeah, exactly. yeah, because the speakers would be giving the impression of the sound, whereas if you put the mics in the place that you normally would mic up a piano, it probably wouldn't work. No, it probably it? wouldn't. Mm, that's a very that's interesting. Really I wonder whether there is a Yamaha party line on how to mic your <laughs> your uh, avant grand. That's a very interesting. No, but it's a, it is an important question, isn't it? I mean, it's like yeah, 
that that is going to have uh, somebody's going to come across that problem and need to solve it. So I would love to know the answer to that. Brilliant. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Sonic three three one five in the chat room says the CP seventy eighty sound uh, would be nice uh, if they've got it. Um, yes, I, I thought he was saying it was nice, but he's saying actually it would be nice to have. But uh, yeah, because I remember um, the, the CP seventy CP eighty. There's a real. It's a two roadie job, isn't it? That because uh, Will uh, from Golfrap bought one several years ago, and I remember trying, helping him. Helping put it together, and that whole thing where you get the soundboard, and you've got to flip it up, and then you clamp it out. It's just—it's a real backbreaker, oh, isn't it? Have you have you done your share of uh, lugging those things around, Dave? Uh, I nearly bought one. A friend of ours—I've got a feeling it might have belonged to Steve Naive, who was selling. This is like early nineties, and he was selling things like a Jupiter Eight for like five hundred pounds oh, or four hundred pounds. Oh. And I think this thing was kicking around for like three hundred quid, and I thought. Oh, I quite like the sound of those. I'll go down and check it out. And it was packed, so we had to unpack it and set it up. And just in that process, I decided that I never, ever wanted one. (laughs) Yeah, that is... Yeah, it's a backbreaker, isn't it? That's um, the sound... Yeah, and I'd love to have one of those. That's the sound of Red Rain, isn't it? That uh, classic Gabriel track off. So Mm. it's just... There's a sound. I mean, it's very... It's it's weird. It sounds like the strings are actually made of kind of rods rather than strings in it. It's a very peculiar sound. I wonder why it does actually sound so the way it does rather than more like an actual piano. I wonder if it's down to the pickup. I suppose it must be. Yeah, and probably the body as well, the way it resonates. I mean, it's very... Uh, I'm trying to describe the sound. I mean, anyone who knows it will know what it sounds like. But it's very... Um, it's quite metallic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's got a tone. I, if I'm trying to remember now because I have seen it, but I haven't played it. Uh, it's got a tone controls and, uh, and what have you, hasn't it? Mm. Yeah. I mean, again, I seem to remember it being pretty noisy. But yeah, no, that's a, a definite classic. In fact, we're asked for an emulation quite a lot. But we haven't got one to do an emulation of. Uh, well, I know someone who has. I know someone who has. If you were, uh, if you care to, but I imagine. Um, Can you imagine modelling every string and then the body? Yeah, I'm not sure whether I'd really want to go there. Yeah, that would be. I wonder if you could do it in something like uh, Chromophone or uh, you know one of these kind of um, modelling uh, specifically modelling based thing. That would be interesting. Chromophone. Yeah, that AAS thing, which seems to have uh, they just ah, released. Okay, yeah. They just released a new set of. Uh, well, Richard Devine, I think, did a set of um, sort of micro percussion sounds for it. But it does. It's capable of some interesting things. And the same sculpture as well, isn't it? You could. Uh, they should maybe put that in there, uh, which is the logic modeling synth. Yeah, yeah. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for something that does that. Well, actually, does what it says it does on the tin, because those modeling synths when you look at the controls you sort of think oh i really want to try that yeah i'll have a piano body on a guitar and i'll start and and they never sound like you expect they would sound at all and i want one that really does put piano bodies on double basses and tuba you know imagine if you put a guitar neck on a tuba what would that sound like with strings on it i mean it would sound like really interesting wouldn't it because it would have its own resonant probably sound like a barabang a large banjo <laughs> well, maybe. well, you know, I'm in the middle of building a gas can guitar, don't you? Ah, yes, of course. Yes, I mean, how's that going? It well, it, slowly. I've got the gas can, <laughs> and I've got a relic. I've got a Stratocaster relic neck. Okay. But now I have to explain to the. Uh, I'm not going to do my own welding, so I have to explain to the guy that's going to weld something through the middle of it why the because he doesn't know anything about music at all so i need to explain to him why the neck needs to join the body in a certain way and how the and the bridge height for a stratocaster and how that should all work and i so i need to do some homework before i take the next step but i went to um denmark street on saturday and went in all the old guitar shops so um and i went upstairs in Oh, God, I've forgotten the name of the place now. The place on the end. The really oh, the place with the polymoke. Well, I went in there as well, yeah. But this, there's a place on the end which is like Hank's Guitars or something. No, it's not Hank's Guitars. It's the one in Denmark Street that's been there forever and everybody always goes in. But I, I went all the way up to the top 
And then um, there was a Watkins rapier hanging on the wall, and I looked at it, and I thought, I used to have one of those. And I remembered that I didn't like it, and I cut the uh, top horn off and tried to make it look like a Telecaster. <laughs> and then I cut the, uh, the neck a little bit and tried to make that look like a Telecaster and obviously completely wrecked it with my dad's jigsaw, you know. <laughs> Wow. This thing was hanging on the wall for like 600 quid with no strings on it. And I was thinking, don't! Ah, <laughs> well, if it was yours, that. it would... Uh, no, uh, it wasn't mine. No, it was, a, it was a one that somebody, you know, one that a teenager hadn't tried to turn into a telecaster. Zen artist in the <laughs> chat room has uh, said that there's a... Um, uh, oh, if I can get... I have to scroll down there. Um, that uh, Shovel Man made a guitar from a shovel. Cool. Which uh, looks pretty. It's sho- shovelman.com. Doug made one with a spade. <laughs> hey! <laughs> yes, his actual his his that shovelman's his stage name is uh, his actual name is Doug, and when he's not playing his guitar, it's Douglas. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, yeah, that's the the variation on the joke. What do you call a man um, with a spade on his head? What do you call a man without a spade on his head? Douglas, obviously. I like the my favourite one. I have to say this is what do you call a singer with biscuits on his head? I don't know. What do you call a singer with biscuits on his head? Lionel Rich tea. Oh, oh no. awesome. <laughs> awesome. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a great way to stop the show. That's a showstopper right there. <laughs> That's it. Everyone's That's awesome. But yes, well, thank you. That was good fun. And um, I well, let's not forget we to, to, to enter your competition. or da- Go and download Isotope's uh, stutter edit, isotope.com stutter edit. And also uh, join the competition, which uh, we just want to know um, your kind of your favourite unorthodox sound design tip or trick. Leave it in the comments. And uh, the if you win, we will pick it next week. And the Isotope Fairy will bestow a copy of Stutter Edit fully working, not to demo mode. Um, so, yes, there you go. Anyway, thanks very much, guys, uh, for joining us. Thank you, Dave Spears, g4software.com, right there. I hope we've provided a, a gentle interlude to your tech support or whatever it is that you've, uh, you've had to do this week. But thank you once again. No, thank you. Great break. And also thanks to Mr. Mark Tinley right over there, um, over likebeing.com, who's... Uh, who's currently obsessed with shovelman.com, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, that's... <laughs> we, we've started... Not look at this anymore, because I'll get, I'll get lost in it. It looks very, very good. Ah, well, we'll have to check um, that out. Anyway, thank yeah. you, Mark, uh, for joining us. And uh, once again, thank you, everybody. Uh, that was Sonic Talk uh, number 324. Remember, you can see it live. Uh, the video will be up on YouTube, uh, which you'll know if you're watching this on YouTube. But if you don't, you can watch it on YouTube. Uh, live chat room and live stream every Wednesday, 4 p.m. UK time. That's it for now. Thanks very much for watching.